Thank you very much, Priscilla. In light of what she played, she didn't only play, but she's been living that for many years in the ups and downs of life, just walking with God day by day. Continue to be faithful, Priscilla. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for grace that you have extended to us. We know as we read the account of what happened in the book of Judges, you were gracious, you were working in the life of Israel, and ultimately you worked in Christ, Christ coming. And through Christ, we have a relationship with you, we have forgiveness of sin. And we live in a needy world, Father. We live in a world that is thirsty. As we reflect on an overview of your word this morning, we want to be living out what we've been discussing in First Peter. For it's in Christ's name I pray, amen. Have you ever noticed that individuals who experience sports tend to talk sports? whether playing or watching. Individuals who experience the computer games tend to talk computer games. Sharing is common among hunters who experience hunting. The men's class this morning was a brief example of that. It's natural and normal to talk about what we experience. It's natural and normal to talk about Christ, His grace, his mercy, his work in our life as we daily experience eternal life. And when I say experience eternal life, talking about the relationship we have with God through Christ, he gives us eternal life. This morning, I want to just briefly give an overview in light of our study of First Peter for God's desire in making disciples. It will involve an overview of Scripture. We won't zero in on any one passage to any great extent. But looking from Genesis to Revelation. And what I share, again, doesn't come from a specific passage, but will relate God's will, God's plan from creation until the end of time. And I'd ask you earlier, the beginning of the service, what comes to your mind when you hear make disciples or evangelism? Does church, ministry, missionary, some well-known evangelist, Christian radio, or you come to mind? As we look at scripture, we find that in the Old Testament, God's will as it relates to reproduction comes through fairly clearly. And again, we're not going to be reading from Genesis. We'll mention it. But in Genesis 1 and 2 and 3, we find that God had created Adam and Eve. He created the universe. And he had told Adam and Eve to reproduce. And we know that we're talking about a physical reproduction. But we're not talking only about a physical reproduction. We're talking about a reproduction and how to live, how to respond in the world, how to take care of God's creation in light of the mandate that God had given to Adam and Eve. 
And we know that Adam and Eve were faithful because Genesis, and just listen as I read a couple of verses. When Adam had lived 130 years, he had a son in his own likeness, in his own image, and he named him Seth. After Seth was born, Adam lived 800 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Adam lived 930 years, and then he died. And we know along the way that Cain and Abel came into the picture, and we know that Cain and Abel apparently knew something about worship because they brought their worship to God, and we know that God accepted Abel's, but he did not accept Cain's. We go to Genesis. We find that Noah is on the scene. Noah was given the responsibility of building an ark, and then everyone but Noah, his wife, three sons, and their wives were destroyed in the flood. And after the flood, in Genesis 9, chapter 1 and verse 10, we find that Noah was to replenish the earth. And again, we know we're not talking merely physical reproduction, but overall as a person, how to live, how to respond. Abram came on the scene, and God called Abraham, and God blessed Abraham, and he told him that he would make a nation out of him, and he would be a blessing to the world. And Abram is the father of the nation of Israel. Well, Israel came on the scene, again, coming through Abraham, and in Exodus chapter 20, we find that God had something to say to Israel. In chapter 19, I invite you to listen as I read. Then Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, This is what you are to say to the house of Jacob, and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt, and how I carried you in eagle, eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession, and the whole earth is mine, and you will be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you are to speak to the Israelites. God's desire for Israel was that they were to be a holy nation, a treasured possession, and they were to be influencing other nations. We go to Exodus 20, we find that God gave the Mosaic Law. The Mosaic Law, the first four commands deal with relationship with God. The last six commands deal with relationships among Israelites and how they were to treat one another along with foreigners and so on in their country. We move on to the prophets. The prophets time and time again called Israel back to the Mosaic law, called Israel back to relationship with God, relationships among themselves, and living well that they could be a kingdom of priests. We come to the last book of the Old Testament, Malachi, in chapter 1, 10 through 14. We find that God basically told Judah that they did not fulfill God's desires expressed in Exodus 19. They were to be a testimony to the nations. They were to be a holy nation. They were to be a treasured possession. They were to be a priesthood. And as a result, in Malachi 4, 5, and 6, we find that John the Baptist was going to come on the scene. And he was going to prepare the way 
for Christ. I just want you to note a couple of things in light of what I mentioned very briefly concerning the Old Testament. Is that God used imperfect, broken people? God used imperfect, broken people. Adam and Eve chose to not trust God and obey him. But what happened after that? They had children. They taught and trained their children. Broken and perfect. Do you ever think about Noah? Noah was not perfect. Abraham. Noah was called from Ur of the Chaldeans. Abraham was the one who had a child by Hagar. And what was Abraham? Abraham was apparently a keeper of sheep and a farmer. Common, ordinary, imperfect, broken individual. You have David. How would you like to have as our next president a murderer? Think about that one. I won't discuss the immorality part on David's part as someone being the next president, but also a murderer. Deceitful. David was king of Israel. We have the nation of Israel. The nation of Israel had ups and downs, but yet God continues to work. We have Moses. We have the prophets. And most of those individuals, in fact, none of them were in what we call full-time ministry. But God used them. God worked. We know that Christ came. And as we look at the New Testament, we find that Christ is revealed in the Gospels, the written Gospels. Christ is revealed in the book of Revelation. And in each of the Gospels, as they begin, they talk about Christ. Matthew 1 and verse 1, Mark 1 and verse 1, Luke 1, 1 through 4, John 1, 1 through 18, all talk about Christ, his coming, him being good news, and so on. And we know that he came, he was revealed. His character, his work is clearly communicated in the Gospels and Revelation. And we know that it not only talks about his work, his healings, his teaching, the cross, the resurrection, Revelation talks about what's coming in the future. We know that following that, the apostles came on the scene. And in Matthew chapter 28, Jesus had given the Great Commission, what we call the Great Commission, which is also given in Mark 16 and Luke 24. And he told the eleven, go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, baptizing their name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And lo, I am with you always. So what did the eleven do? Along with the twelfth apostle that was selected in Acts and Paul, they spoke Christ. And the book of Acts is called the Acts of the Apostles. What they did as they carried out the Great Commission. But they also wrote about Christ in the Gospels and in the book of Revelation. They wrote 
the body of Christ, and I'm talking about the church, in the epistles. So we have Christ. He delegated to his apostles. They spoke Christ. They wrote Christ. They wrote the body of Christ. How to have a relationship with Christ. How to relate to the body of Christ, the local church. How to relate to outsiders or unbelievers. We find that there is then local churches. And local churches, which were established by the 11 in the book of Acts. And then we have the epistles, many of them written to local churches. The apostles spoke a message. What happened then? Local churches were established, and what happened? They sent evangelists into areas where the gospel had not been spoken. And they shared the message of Christ, crucified, buried, raised to dead, raised from the dead, and exalted to glory. How to live in a local church, how to relate in a local church. He gave pastors and teachers to local churches to build the church up so that they can be effective in daily living and giving the ministry believers and what is God's desire for a local body of believers common ordinary believers living in sensitivity to God on the job driving shopping in school reflecting Christ Let's take our Bibles and turn to Colossians chapter 4. Colossians chapter 4. Again, we're giving a broad overview. Paul writes in Colossians 1 and 2 concerning Christ. Very, very strong as he writes to the believers in Colossae that it's Christ and Christ alone. It's no other being between you and God, other than Christ. Then in chapter 3 and 4, he explains how to live out Christ day by day. Pick up in verse 4 of chapter 4 of Colossians. Paul says, pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. He's talking about the mystery of Christ. And then he says in verse 5, be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Be skillful in the way you please, the way you act towards outsiders, unbelievers, those that are not part of the body of Christ. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Chapters 1 and 2, he's talked about Christ, the sufficiency of Christ. Chapters 3, or chapter 3 particularly, Living out Christ in day-by-day living, in relationships with the body of Christ, in relationships in the home, relationships with your master or with your slaves. Then he says, be wise in the way you act toward outsiders, the way you respond to them. Notice what he says at the end of verse 6. So that you may know how to answer 
everyone. And with that thought in mind, let's go over to 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3. Peter is writing to those who are going through some difficulty because of their faith in Christ, not coming from the government, just people in their daily lives. And in chapter 3, verse 13, he says, Who is going to harm you if you're eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear what they fear. Do not be frightened. That is, don't fear what those who are persecuting you fear. Verse 15, but in your heart set apart Christ as Lord, always being prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. I want you to notice what he says in verse 15. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you the reason for the hope that you have. Believers are being persecuted just by other people, not coming from the government at this point in time. In the way these believers are living and responding, whether it be as slaves or whether it be as a husband or a wife, or their interaction in day-by-day living, it says be ready to give an answer. Now, in light of Colossians 4 and 1 Peter 3, apparently believers are being asked questions. Who's being asked questions? The pastors? No. The evangelists? No. Believers, they're being asked questions. As you look at the flow of Colossians and you look at the flow of First Peter, the questions apparently come from the way they lived. A little over a week ago, there was a shooting in Pittsburgh, in the synagogue. And there's been numerous shootings in recent months, you know, in a host of places. Just this week, I was talking to an individual, and the individual just went on and on about our country and how things are. And then he made some other responses. He says, I already know what you're going to say. (laughs) Because I had some other conversations with that same individual. But he observed my life. Peter is saying, Paul is saying, live well, moment by moment as a slave, as an owner as an employer, as an employee, as a shopper, as a student, as a teacher, live well. Your life reflecting the grace of God, the gospel of Christ. 
Turn back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Paul had a very meaningful relationship with the Thessalonians, and 1 Thessalonians seems to be Paul defending his ministry to some extent. In chapter 4, he talked about living to please God. And then in verse 11 of chapter 4, he says, Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business, to work with your own hands, just as we told you, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and so that you will not be dependent upon anybody. Suppose you said to your son or your daughter, and they're in their late teens, what do you want to do with your life? And they said, Mom, Dad, or Grandpa, Grandpa, I want to mind my own business. I want to work with my own hands. And I want to lead a quiet life. If I accomplish that, I will be content. I want to lead a quiet life. I want to work with my own hands. I want to mind my own business. Well, what do you want to do with your life? I want to mind my own business. I want to work with my own hands. I want to lead a quiet life. What do you want to do with your life? So whatever a child may do with life, if they're minding their own business, working with their own hands, and leading a quiet life, that goes a long way. They may be an employee, they may be an employer, they may be a student, they may be a teacher, they may be a pharmacist, they may be a host of things. But living well in those situations. He says, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders. Some of you sitting here this morning have the respect of outsiders, of unbelievers. Because you come to church? No. Because of what you do and how you do it and how you relate on your jobs. Say, how do you know? I've been told. Some of you sitting here in your marriages have respect of some unbelievers. Why? Because of your marriage. The way you live and the way you respond. Quiet life, minding your own business, working with your own hands, gaining the respect of outsiders so that you will not be dependent on anybody. And apparently some of the Corinthians, because of their belief... Concerning the return of Christ, we're sitting back and saying, we don't want to work. And, you know, Paul is exhorting them, you know, accordingly. They didn't, these people, or Paul says to these people, so that you're not dependent upon anybody. Now think about living in Christ and having a receptive audience. (laughs) 
There's a difference between a receptive audience and an audience that is not receptive. And again, I'm talking living in a community where there are local churches. I'm not talking about a community where you go and no one has ever shared the gospel there. How does an audience become receptive? By the way we live, by the way we respond. That results in questions about life, how we live, how we respond. As you look at the New Testament, God used imperfect, broken people. He used Peter, Matthew, Paul. No. Peter didn't have a super good track record. We know that Matthew was a tax collector. We know that Paul was the one who persecuted the church. We have the Corinthians. They had immorality in their church. They had divisions in their church. They were abusing the Lord's Supper. They were taking one another to court. I would probably say I never want to pastor that church. (laughs) But yet Paul begins the book by talking about them being holy, being sanctified, and he's thankful for them. And then he addresses some issues. God used the Corinthians. How about the Ephesians? Their background, they came out of a very tough background, but yet God was at work. What is God's will God's plan illustrated as you look at the Old Testament and the New Testament. That parents reach children, that children should be over in the sinner category. That mate reaches a mate, a believer reaches a neighbor, an employer reaches an employee, an employee reaches fellow employees or his employer or her employer, a student, a fellow student, a man, a husband, a father reaching Another man, husband and father. A woman, wife, mother, reaching a woman, wife and mother. Children and teens, reaching children and teens. Older men, reaching younger men or older men. Older women, reaching younger women. Sports coach, reaching players. Players reaching a coach and fellow players. A shopper, responding to cashier and fellow shoppers. An owner, customers, a friend, reaching a friend. Stop and think about the mission field that God has given to our church. And who is to reach them? Who is to live godly? You and me. When you say some of the people will never come to our church, that's beside the point. You work at places where someone were to come to Christ through your testimony... They would never come here. Others may. Peter, as he writes, is saying, live well. Answer people as they respond to you. Most of us don't need to add anything to our lives. But live where we are.
well. We don't need to depend on some evangelist. Nothing wrong with evangelists. We don't need to depend upon some program or some ministry. Live where you are. I'm going to mention some specific names just in way of illustration. Rick Garnett comes from an interesting background. Didn't grow up with his parents. Basically, my grandmother would have raised him. I think I'm correct in that, Rick. And uh, would have been into some stuff along the way that we probably would say is not good. He was married and divorced. And I'm not sure anything secret, by the way. You know, people know this and would have come to Christ. He has an immediate family that he would like to see come to Christ. The way he lives, the way he responds is vital. Take an Alan Marvin. He was raised in a Christian home. He works for his brother. He has limited contact with people. But yet he has a wife, he has children. He occasionally has contact with a salesman. He goes hunting, probably talks some about hunting to some people. That's his world. may not be as big as some, but it's his world. Take care of it. We have a Daryl coming out of a religious background, but yet came to Christ. Struggles along the way, victories along the way. As she goes to her job, she interacts with coworkers. That's her field. To reach. We have a Cheryl. Has been through some difficulties over the years. Some failures along the way. Divorced and concerned about her kids and grandkids. But the way she lives and responds in the light of that brokenness is going to be a testimony. We may never reach what some people may reach in terms of numbers. But I'm not talking about numbers. I'm not talking about results. I'm talking about being faithful where we are. We're bombarded over and over again with size, with numbers, with the professional mindset. And they may have their place, but God has called us to where we are. Even in your brokenness, in your past failures, God can use that for profit or good as you seek to share Christ. Rick can share some brokenness in his own life and can say to his children or grandchildren, here's the path I went, but by the grace of God, I'm not there. I still struggle. I've had some failures. Cheryl could say to her kids or grandkids or to a family member, 
I didn't do everything right. I blew it along the way. But by the grace of God, I'm not what I was, and I'm not where I used to be, but still I'm struggling. By the grace of God, can I share Christ with you? I just heard again this week someone expressing deep concern for the young people in America. The mindset was that they were sharing that young people are not walking with God as previous generations did. I'm not going to debate that one way or the other. You say, how are we going to reach young people? You and me. How many of you know someone under the age of 20? Don't raise your hand. I'm just asking a question. How many of you know someone under the age of 20? It may be a child. It may be a grandchild. It may be a great-grandchild. It may be a neighbor's kid. It might be someone you're involved with just because of who you are and what you enjoy. What are we going to do to reach our young people? You and me. In our day-by-day living, the way we live and the way we respond and take an interest in them. Or there may be some program that can be effective, and that may be fine. But there's tons of young people that will never come to a program because they're turned off or they're just not interested. But you can live godly before them. And they may come to Christ, they may not come to Christ. That's not the issue. But just be faithful. See, we tend to think we want to reach a particular age group. We need some type of program. And there's nothing wrong with a program. We'll reach older people. Let's have a program. Well, how about God's program is people? We live well. We respond well. And we'll buy up opportunities that God has given to us. I think of my father back in, I think it was 2000. He'd been in dialysis for a number of years. And came to the point that dialysis was no longer working. And he said, no, I'm going to quit dialysis. And we knew that his time was limited. And I can still see in my mind... Thanksgiving Day, the day before he passed away, his oldest granddaughter, Ashley, was two or three at that point in time, I'm not sure. Three, two. She went over to my dad. Because of a stroke he had, there was some drool, you know, coming out of his, one side of his mouth. Didn't bother her, she crawled up in his lap. And dad held him an old man, and a little child. My point is simple. If you're 50, if you're 80, if you're 70, if you're 40, as it relates to young people, look at your world. Who has God put you or put into your world? 
We're concerned about family members. We're concerned about neighbors. We're concerned about coworkers. We're concerned about friends. Good. Be concerned. But don't let your concern stop with saying, what can we do to get them to come to us? You're there. You're with them. Live. Talk. Share. Because they can see your life. They know you're not perfect. They see what you do right. And you have the privilege of sharing the grace of God. The message of the gospel. Let's not ask, what more can I do? And if you have time to do more, fine. But rather ask, am I taken care of? That which God has given to me. I'm not talking about winning someone. I'm not talking if they respond, living faithfully, but also verbalizing. Verbalizing the message of Christ for his glory as we live well. That's a lot of what Peter was saying. Live well and be ready to give an answer. Many of us are striving to live well. My encouragement is to continue to live well. And keep in mind that God has placed thirsty people into your life. You have a neighbor, you have a grandchild, you have a friend. They're searching. And you have the living water. You have the bread of life. You know the vine. You know the good shepherd. Share him. Let's pray. Father, in light of what we have experienced and what we see throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament, You want to use those you have called to yourself to be sought light and ambassadors to others. We're, most of us, other than myself, are not in what we call full-time ministry. But we have jobs, we go to school, we relate to neighbors, we have friends, we have family. And we know those that are unbelievers in our We're out of influence. May we live well. Know that many of us have been seeking to live well. May we verbalize. Give an answer for the reason of the hope that we have. And point them to Christ, who can satisfy their thirst. Encourage us to continue to be faithful. For your glory. In Christ's name, amen.